0: And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees and trees bearing fruit with seeds in it according to their kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness and God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day and God said let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky so God created the great creatures of the sea and every every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day, and God said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. <laughs> By the seventh day God had finished His work the work that he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And the second reading is uh, John chapter one, verses one to five. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it.
1: Thanks, Brenda. And good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. Hey, I suspect you have heard the infamous story of Jesus saving a woman from what would have been certain death. the story goes this woman was on trial for adultery and uh, the punishment, of course, is to be stoned to death. Jesus uh, enters the trial scene and famously he says to those stones poised, ready to uh, execute, he says, well, whoever is without sin, you cast the first stone. And it's a great story, it's a helpful story, but one of the things that's unique about this story is it's the only received account I know of where Jesus writes. In this story, before uh, saying this, Jesus bends down and in the dirt he starts to write. And it's a matter of speculation what he actually wrote, but many, uh, I think probably rightfully or certainly without, with good reason, speculate he might have been writing the commandments and therefore saying to those who would execute, well whoever hasn't broken one of these, throw your stone. Some years before that, in fact, many, many years before that, Jesus' forefather, David, wrote Psalm 19. And in Psalm 19, David said, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim His handiwork. You see, for both these anointed kings, Jesus and David, something uh, common is happening. Creation is being used by God to declare His glory. Jesus, riding in the dirt, says something about who he is and the kind of saviour, the kind of God he is. Jesus says, when you look upon creation, the heavens and the earth, you will see something of God's fingerprints. And I share this with you this morning because as we start this new series, that'll take us from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis 5, where we're going to stay nice and dry because you know what comes next. It's called Earth. Not that we might fixate ourselves on the earth and cosmology, but instead that we might see, because the earth, the land, the ground is mentioned in every one of these chapters. And in every one of these chapters, when we look, we see the fingerprints of God and we learn something about his person and we learn something about his character and his works. And so here we come to Genesis 1, that we might look upon the earth, not that we might worship or fixate upon it, but that we might meet once again our God who is our creator, our redeemer, and our sustainer. Let me offer a word of prayer, and let's jump into Genesis. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your fingerprints are all over creation. We thank you, Father, that not only are your fingerprints all over creation, we thank you that you took on fingerprints in the Lord Jesus and became incarnate and dwelt among us. That we might know you perfectly heavenly father we thank you that in your triune nature your holy spirit opens our eyes our ears our hearts our minds and overcomes all our distortion that we might meet you and know you and so father we do pray this morning as we come to the opening chapter of the scriptures that your holy spirit be with us revealing you and showing you to us that we might know you more and love you more and walk with you all the days of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. And so, the Bible opens with these words from Genesis chapter one. You'll see them on the screen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. What's this story about? The is about God. This story is as much about God as when an author writes a best-selling novel, they don't give the award to the paper, they give the awards to the author. And so the one we're studying here is not the earth, we're studying the God who created. What kind of a God? Well, he's a God who created, in the original language word is Barah. And it means to create from nothing. This is not the God who ducked down to Bunnings for some supplies. This is the God who in his fullness created from nothing. There was no Bunnings trip required. This is the God who is not part of the creation but is separate from the creation but creates. And what does he create? Well he created the heavens and the earth and I've got to tell you he created a something kind of nothing. He created the heavens and the earth but what does he tell us about the heavens and the earth the heavens and the earth were formless empty darkness was over them. there was an absence of lights and darkness hovered sorry darkness was over the surface of the deep do you feel the emptiness do you feel the something kind of nothing God created this thing. It's a thing. It's heavens and the earth, but it's formless. What does it look like? Don't know. It's formless. It's empty. Don't bother looking because it's dark anyway. And uh, is it mounded up? No, it's deep. And even as God uh, comes and encounters it, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, if you're like me, when somebody asks you to describe the ocean, you say, big, wet, blue. But... Many of you, praise the Lord, are not like me. And I suspect the original uh, readership here are often not like me. To describe the ocean is more like how uh, my wife would. It's powerful. It's majestic. It's mysterious. Some would say it's traumatic. Some would say stirred up. The picture here is of a stirred up, kind of nothingy, empty, dark thing... There is a thing, but the thing is formless and it's empty and it's dark and it's deep and it's mysterious. But ah, this thing, this heaven and earth, this creation is about to have an encounter with the creator. The God who is transcendent, he's separate, is about to draw near. For the Spirit of God, oh look, we're learning more about God. God is spirit. God is going to draw near and we read that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The transcendent God is becoming imminent. He's coming close. The creation that's formless and empty and dark and void and chaotic is about to encounter the full and ordered and powerful Creator. Creator. And what happens when that creator encounters his creation? Well, the passage goes on to teach us about things being formed and things being filled. And that's where we're going today. As you'll see, Genesis 1 continues on into chapter 2 with a very poetic expression of what it is to meet a God who draws near and forms and fills. Now, I've got to tell you from the get-go, in case you're wondering, this is not a scientific lab report and if it is one it's a weird one now i say that knowing that some read this as a cosmology some devoted christians read this as well this is how everything happened and we're meant to read this literally Uh, that is not my view and it's not the view that the, the, the preaching team will share with you but i share this not to alienate you i share this not that you would be alienated if that is your view Nor do I share this that if you're thinking, oh, it's too hard to believe in that, that I might placate you. What I'm trying to do this morning is help us to read God's Word, and to read God's Word in its truth, and to take our eyes from fixation on creation and ourselves and our world, and do what God's Word always does, lift our heads, raise us up that we might not contemplate ourselves and the earth in the first priority, but that we might do just as Jesus was doing when he scratched in the dirt, just as David said when he said, the heavens declare the glory of God. And so regardless of where you arrive, will you come with me and let me show you the God of creation, who, as I've said, poetically and beautifully expresses himself in this opening chapter of the Bible. As he comes upon this formless, empty, dark void of chaos, we read that he fills it. Darkness is filled with light, day one. And in this beautiful poem, day one matches with day four because God doesn't just fill his earth with light. He forms and creates a night light and a daylight that time and seasons might be mapped by. Now you can see, again, our lab report struggles because the moon's not a light. It's a rock in the sky that reflects a light called the sun. But what God is trying to teach us here is that I am the God who fills what is empty and forms what is chaotic. God continues explaining himself in Genesis. He says, look, and on the second day, I'm going to create this thing called sky, There'll be sky, there'll be water below. You know the rains come from above and there'll be a thing called the sky. I'm ordering the elemental things. I'm making this environment. This is where the sky will be. This is where the waters will be. I am forming. And God fills his formation of sky and waters. You'll see that creatures are put in the sea and birds are put in the sky. God is forming and God is filling. And of course, God, as Langdon said before, we like a little bit of this, Lord, can we have a little bit of day three action on the 10th of December, dry ground. Just as God explained to Job, again, beautifully, poetically, where he explains storehouses filled with snow, again, not a lab report. He said, I said to the sea, you can come this far and no further. verse made famous in the Da Vinci Code of all places. Uh, Anyway, He said, and this will be dry ground. He formed ocean, dry ground. And he filled on the dry ground. He created these living creatures according to their kind. God is a God who is filling and he is forming. And there's a beautiful poetry as these days play together. There's more going on in Genesis as well. If you're looking at a paper Bible, you'll see that the accounts of day one is very short, day two gets longer, day three gets longer, day four is like day three, day five gets shorter, and then day six should be short again, but it's not. There's an anomaly on day six. It's you and me. We're the anomaly. Uh, In a way that you can't miss when you're reading Genesis, this thing thing happens on day six when God's filling and forming the land he creates the earthling he creates the human being and he creates the human being in his image now again there's a little bit of a wrestle here and I'm just going to name the elephant in the room or maybe the monkey in the room so where did these earthlings come from I don't know and I don't care well I kind of care but as I stand here teaching you about God, I don't care. Uh, now, some of you might have arrived and gone, oh, clearly we've evolved from apes and all that sort of stuff. Great, maybe, don't know. I don't know, I'm not an authority. Some of you said that's horrid. that's not the case. Um, maybe. We don't need to know. Be fun to know. Biologists want to know, scientists want to know. You don't need to know to be Christian. You don't need to know to take God's word seriously. You don't need to know to be a follower of God. Here's what you do need to care about. That regardless of origin stories and things like that, at some stage God went, this creature, I, the God who forms things, that creature's in my image. They're part of the created order, but they're not a monkey. They're a human being in my image. And they'll have human being blessing and human being responsibility they're different. Different, like what was once some kind of potential chicken inside a chicken, an egg, is now a pavlova. <laughs> sure, that's the origin story, but we're talking about different things. This is a pavlova. It has a different purpose to something inside a chicken. So let us move from origin and move to image, and next week as we pick up chapter 2, I'm going to tell you more about what it is to be in the image of God. What matters is to recognize that God made us in a particular way. You see, as God creates and fills and forms what was formless and empty and dark and deep and mysterious, his fingerprints are all over it. The fingerprints of God are wrapped around the earth. The fingerprints of God are wrapped around me. They're wrapped around you. They're wrapped around the whole created order. And what do we see from God's fingerprints? We meet a God who is not chaotic. We meet a God who fills and a God who forms. A God who, in the most amazing way, takes us from stirred up chaotic nothing to completed holy nothing. What do I mean by that? Well, we started with the God who created the heavens and the earth from nothing and it was formless and empty and it was a something kind of nothing and it's, it's, it's not enticing. But then the God who, when he engages with his creation, fills it and forms it, completed all things in their vast array, vast array against formless and empty, now completed in vast array does nothing. He calls this day the Sabbath. He calls it holy and he rests. An encounter for creation with the creator takes us from chaotic stirred up nothing to a holy, formed, filled, restful nothing. Two very different nothings, wouldn't you say? Two very different nothings. But that's what an encounter with the creator will do and that's what god has shown us with his fingerprints on creation an encounter with the creator takes us to a whole holy completed beautiful nothing oh, we call it rest but you see god who is a god who wants to show himself god who knew that the heavens declare his glory and the skies proclaim his handiwork, was not satisfied just to be fingerprinted. God didn't want to just be fingerprinted. Instead, God turns up for the mugshot. He turns up for the mugshot. We might not guess whose fingerprints these are, but we might know and know precisely. And here's where we go to John chapter 1, where we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and lights and the light of all mankind. Sorry, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John chapter 1 is the mugshot. This is where God, who's left his fingerprints as the former and filler, says here I am. I'm Jesus. When you meet Jesus, you meet the creator God. When you meet Jesus, you meet the one whose fingerprints have been on creation, the one who forms, the one who fills, and the one who brings true rest. And I've got to say to you, there's a popular verse that I know many people have loved, and maybe I'm just a spiritual void myself. I've always thought it was okay, but this last week as I prepped this message, I went, wow, this is what's going on. Here's the verse. It's Matthew 11:28, 28, where Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in hearts, And you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the God of creation. This is the God who formed and filled what was empty and formless. This is the God who brought light to what was dark. This is the God who filled in what was deep. This is the God who mastered the waters. This is the God who says, beyond the fingerprints, know me as Jesus. Jesus, God, creator now, says to us, "'Come to me, the former, the filler, the one who brings rest, "'and I will give you that rest. "'I will restore you. "'I will do with you what I did with my earth.'" in your trauma, in your heartache, in your restlessness, in your lack of form, in the spaces you are empty, in the spaces you are tired, come to me. I'm the God who did it with the universe and I can do it with you. I can remove the guilt. I can speak the words of love into your life. I can show you wisdom. I can form you. I can fill you and I can bring you into the true rest. This is God speaking to us. And Jesus says, I've always pondered this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I'm wondering, what is this burden? What am I being yoked to? What am I co-working in? Well, it's there in Genesis. You see, humanity which God said, part of the created order, but distinct in the created order, in the image of God. If I'm in the image of the one who forms, fills, and brings rest, then just maybe as I'm yoked to Jesus, the work before me is a wonderful light work of bringing filling, forming, and rest to teach the ways of Jesus the wisdom of jesus the salvation and love of jesus the light and the life of jesus and the rest from the burden that comes in jesus i love being created in god's image what does this mean yeah uh, you know, there's a question people are forever asking and i think they ask the question cuz they're unsatisfied with the answer sometimes what is the meaning of life They ask it all the time. The meaning of life is evident to us here. It's to enjoy God. It's to enjoy God and be satisfied in Him. This is why Jesus says, come to me, the Creator God, and it will be great. Come and enjoy. I'm gentle and humble in heart. Come and enjoy. God creates, He forms, He fills, He brings rest. Come and enjoy, He says. I've prepared it all for you. He says, enjoy your God. God that's the meaning of life and so you know often we load ourselves up and these things are good things both as a group or personally i have a personal vision statement if you want to read it you're welcome to read it and you can let me know if i'm starting to evolve into the preferred future i'd like to see for myself it motivates me it helps me along our church has a vision we have a mission and these things are all great but under vision under mission before all of these things is our purpose What is your purpose? What is my purpose? To enjoy God. You're a human being before you're a human doing. It's to enjoy the God who, just like all of creation, wants to draw near to you, form you, fill you, and give you rest. This is the God we meet in Jesus. And so let me say a few words about enjoying God, being filled, formed, and rested. Something that helps me think about being filled by God is this staircase. The staircase is called the ziggurat staircase. You may have seen one before. One of the things we've got to understand when we read Genesis is this is not the first account ever written of how the world started. Now, the first time I heard that, that rattled me. I thought, isn't Genesis meant to be the first thing? It's the first thing. It's the original and the best. Think about it like this. Those of you who are parents... There's a ruckus in the house and one kid runs to you, maybe with tears and intensity, and tells you what happened. Do you believe it? No, you don't. You're wise enough to know, you it, and then you ask for another witness to come forward. And you hear, oh no, there was a lead up to this part. Do you believe it? Well, you try and reconcile the two together and figure it out. Genesis is written in a time where there were other epics of creation, older than Genesis. Uh, A very famous one that uh, many will know is is called Enuma Elish. Enuma Elish is a Babylonian epic that essentially, my apologies apologies to any Babylonians in the room uh, for my quick summary, but there's essentially a, a, a heavenly domestic violence incident between two gods and the body of um, a killed god is kind of thrown down and there you go there's your earth and genesis is a polemic that stands against some of these epics and says no, no 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 this was not we are not a consequence of a horrible accident we're the consequence of a god who forms and fills and then says yes that's exactly how i wanted it to go it is good it is good it is good yes that's the plan it is good Ooh, it's very good this is precisely what I intended, precisely how I want it, and so it corresponds. Genesis wants to correct all that sort of thing. One of the other things Genesis does, and here's where we come to our ziggurat staircase. Ziggurat staircases, I think they sort of originate in Mesopotamia. This is the concept where you have this staircase that goes to nowhere. It just goes up and then stops. The idea is, and this is common in many world religions, that humanity is there to appease and serve the gods who have grown tired with mundane tasks. And so the idea is at the base of the ziggurat staircase, you would put food and produce. So your god, who is just tired of cooking, can descend down and so Uber Eats was born. Right, You are the first menu log, your divine menu log, if you, if you sign up for this stuff. That it's your job to provide for the gods who just can't cook tonight. And you go, oh yeah, I see that in ancient religion. It's still alive today. Where well, the idea is that we exist to satisfy and find favor with the gods. But we meet a God in Genesis who says, when it was empty and void and restless, I filled it. I formed it, and guess what? I've cooked dinner too. See, I provide for you every green tree for food. both for the animals, the humans, for his living creatures, he says, I'll provide it. No, no, don't get up. I'll provide it. Enjoy me. Come into my rest. Our God wants us to be filled. Our God is not nature, In ancient times, you know that uh, people would sometimes worship nature. Uh, So many good things come from nature, the harvest, the rains. And so we worship nature and we appease nature. Nature is our God that we might be blessed and sustained by nature. And you go, yes, I've heard about that sort of thing. It's still alive today. Uh, Environmental worship is still something that can exist among us. And it's a tricky one. Because in the image of God, we're certainly called to stewardship. Certainly called to be formers and fillers. And to look after things as God's vice-regent. When we go from stewardship into language like sustainability, I think we have to be careful. What sustains the world but the one who created it and filled it and formed it when it was empty and dark? We don't sustain the world. We act as good stewards. Please don't misunderstand me. We act as good stewards because that's faithfulness. Sustainability, that's God's thing. Let me go further and say, in the beginning God created. That's because the earth is not eternal. God is. And so here's here's an encouragement. Be encouraged that when we think about looking after the world for our children and our children's future, do not despair. In Christ, this world, when it ends, and it's not an if, it's a when, when it ends, it's okay. The God who created out of nothing will give you a new world. It's all going to get burnt up. He'll give you a brand new world, filled, formed, perfect, rested. And you and your children and your children's children in Christ will enjoy it. But if you lose your God... If you lose your God and sustain your world, the future is bleak because you will return to the dust and that will be a sad demise. So we worship God. We don't worship the world. We enjoy the world that God has given us. We steward the world. We know that God sustains the world. The world is not eternal. And God is not the God who's waiting for us to turn up with dinner that he might be satisfied with us. God is the God who creates, provides, fills, forms that we might enjoy him. God is the God we are to enjoy because he is the God who forms things. And so this is the God who called us to not practice idolatry. You'll be like, oh, that, that one I've dodged. You won't find any of these gold little structures in my house. But see, we always come into idolatry when we create a God who is not a God who reveals himself. So this is why we're so committed to the Word of God. God tells us what he's like. He says, here's my fingerprint, here's my voice, here's my son. This is what I'm like. You don't need to make it up. In fact, don't make it up. Stick with me. We flirt with idolatry when we start trying to return the favor to God. What's returning the favor to God? Well, he created us in his image, and we think, well, maybe I'll create him in my image. Or maybe some of those bits about God that, mm, they don't sit quite right with me, I'll pretend they don't exist. That's idolatry. That's forming a God of our own rather than receiving the God who has revealed himself. So God tells us who God is. You know what else? God, who forms, tells us who we are. Man, those voices in our heads and those voices from the sides that either pump us up or drag us down or move us sideways front and whatever and tell you you're this you're that or the other no it's God who forms and tells me who I am it's God who tells me when I'm left of center or when I'm going the right way God speaks here's an example God forms me he tells me hey Shane you're a sinful dude and now the inner voice gets involved and the evil one gets involved and says, "Yeah, you're a sinful dude." So that may- that means you're a sinner. God says, "I didn't say that. I said you're a sinful dude, and simultaneously I say you're a saint because I made you one. Now you can listen to the evil one, you can listen to your friends, you can listen to your head that will say because you're sinful, you're a sinner. But God says, "I'm not saying that. I'm saying, yes, you do have an issue of sin that we are working through. It keeps happening, but you're a saint." You're made new, washed clean in the blood of my son. God tells me who I am. God is the former. God is the one who forms the world. Now, some will say, maybe you've said this yourself, um, you can't really go telling people God's ways to live because maybe they don't believe in God. They're not a Christian yet, so don't be telling them these things. Why not? Don't we believe God's things are good things? Don't we believe that even if someone doesn't come to Christ, we love them, we're trying to commend to them God's wisdom for life? Do we assume that the world is still formless? I don't. I think the Scriptures have said that God has formed the world and He's stitched His ways into it. A Christian ethicist called Oliver O'Donovan calls this voluntarism, where we assume that the world is blank, And we can import our own ways into it and figure it out. But I think the scriptures say, no, God's got a plan and a design. He formed it. So share the form. You can't coerce someone into the form, but you can certainly share the wisdom of God's form. You don't have to wait till you believe. Tell you what happened this morning. I was asleep. It was good. I wasn't believing in the sun at the time. I wasn't thinking of the sun. I was an alien and a stranger to the sun, but the sun rose anyway and the light flooded my room and it woke me up. It's just how it is. You don't need to believe in gravity to fall. You don't need to believe in God to be able to benefit from what he has formed into his creation and to be able to commend that wisdom. God tells us who he is. God tells us who we are. God tells us how the world is. He's the former. And finally, God can be enjoyed because he is the God who rested and brings rest. The first people who probably heard Genesis probably the desert generation who reflected upon their forefathers building bricks and pyramids in Egypt. And when you're a slave in Egypt, your only worth is in how many bricks you can produce per day. Stop producing bricks and what value are you to us? And you might go, yeah, what a sad existence. The existence still exists today where we measure ourselves and others and allow ourselves to be measured on what do you bring to the table what can you produce but God says no be filled be formed and be rested for I have poured myself into you I sent my son for you I want you to rest I want you to start from rest and fullness. You are a human being before you're a human doing. I am the God who has made it so. Jesus is the God who forms. Jesus is the God who fills. And Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 speaks new to me that Jesus is the God who brings me rest for he fills me and forms me. Jesus is the God to enjoy. From the very beginning, when it was empty, formless, Dark and restless, an encounter with the true God resulted in full and holy rest. I implore you, have an encounter with the true God. His name is Jesus. He brings form, he brings filling, and he does bring rest. Let me pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you for him as our creator. We thank you for him as our sustainer. We thank you for him and his invitation to be filled, to be formed, and to find rest. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for his hovering over the waters, for him leading in you, being imminent with your creation. We thank you that it was by his power that the Virgin Mary became pregnant, We thank you that it's by his power that our closed eyes and deaf ears and hard hearts and dull minds were opened and illuminated to meet and receive our Lord Jesus. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray now that once more your Holy Spirit might hover over all of your creatures here, that he might descend upon us, opening eyes, minds, hearts, ears, to see the Lord Jesus either for the first time or once again and to find filling, to find formation and to find beautiful, beautiful rest in him. We pray in his name. Amen.